So we are together in Ephesians chapter 6. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn there. For all of 2022 so far, we've been in Ephesians 6 and this whole spiritual battle that the scripture says that we are in with one who is not seen but very real, who hates you. I just want to come back and remind you, you have an enemy who hates you and wants to destroy you, who wants to kill you. And because we can't see him, we forget that, out of sight, out of mind. But there is indeed an enemy. And he is, does not want you to walk with the Lord. He does not want you to be used by the Lord. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But you have been given divine armor so that you can stand against his schemes against you. And that armor is laid out in verses 14, 15, 16, 17. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, that is, that you are ready, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that you are not only firm-footed in the gospel, but that you are fleet-footed with the gospel. That's everything that we've looked at in the recent weeks. Now, this morning... In addition to all, having, in addition to all, taking up the shield of what? All right. Take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So our new armor introduced in this verse is a shield. And we need a shield because the verse says he has Flaming arrows, which, mean what else, which means what else does he have? Yeah, if he has arrows, he's, he's got a bow. So we have a foe with a bow that I want us to consider. <clears throat> imagine, imagine this. Literally, as you walk around today, as you go to work tomorrow... Wherever you go tomorrow, imagine there is somebody who has a bow with arrows and he's trying to shoot you. Would that change the way you walked around today? (laughs) Yes. So don't imagine it. That's true. See, don't keep this all up here abstract. We genuinely cute foe with a bow. Ha, ha, ha. No, that's not funny if there really is somebody who has a bow and's trying to shoot me. And that's exactly what's true. He's trying to shoot you, to kill you, to destroy you. What are his arrows? We've said it every time. His arrows are lies. He is a liar. When he's speaking, he's lying. His arrows are lies, and those lies are intended to deceive you, to take that which you think is true and to pervert it. Maybe it's not true. Think of the arrows that have flown in recent years of that which was always held to be true according to the absolute truth of the scriptures that now is no longer black and white but gray. Those are arrows to deceive, to tempt. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care for you. God's not in control. Do your own thing. Watch out for yourself. And then to accuse you. And all of us know what it means 
to yield to his temptation and to all son, he, the tempter becomes the accuser against us. I don't know if that sobers you or not, but it sobers me when I think if there really was somebody on campus today with a bow and was aiming to destroy me with arrows, that would change the way I live. And the scripture says that's what's true. And we have a defense. What is it? It's the shield. So when you think of, well, before I go there, understand. Remember, his aim is to kill your fruitfulness and your usefulness. He cannot reclaim your soul, but he can render you fruitless and therefore useless, present, but not fruitful and useful. The defense is the shield. And when you think of a shield, you may think, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So your shield is your faith. This is very helpful to me. Uh, When I think... Their arrows are coming, and they are lies, and I have a shield, and it is faith. So move past the imagery and see the reality. Lies, shield. Lies, shield. Now, when you think Roman shield, you may think this guy. You know who that is? That's Russell Crowe, gladiator, if you haven't seen You may think this, this is a gladiator shield, not a soldier's shield. That would have been a Roman shield that Paul is referring to when he says, the lies are coming, this is, this helps me, this is your faith. And maybe the most helpful reality for me in this study has been this. Maybe you've thought of this, I'm just a dummy and slow. Our enemy is an expert marksman. He has unlimited arrows, unlimited arrows, and he never misses. Okay, so what am I saying? I am saying with every unlimited arrow he shoots at you, every lie he shoots at you, one of two possibilities. What are they? A hit... Or a block. No misses. See, when my boys go bow hunting and a deer sees them in a stand, they go, hmm, he'll probably miss me. (laughs) (laughs) If you're counting on the enemy missing you, he won't. Unlimited lies, unlimited arrows to shoot at you, and he is going to hit you. Unless you block it. And what's the block? What's the shield? Say it again. It's faith. How's that work? Very simply like this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. See, part of the challenge of this entire series is you becoming convinced 
that there is something real going on that you can't see. That there really are lies flying at you right now. Some of you have lies flying at you. I'm not really sure. I don't really get it. Uh, uh, The individual who said to me, no, I never have. I never believe any lies. Hmm. Not sure about that one, but I think that's a big one coming right at you right now. I don't see them. I think they're not there. Lies are defeated by faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Oh, I hope we'll miss. No. What are the things hoped for? Don't miss this. This is what's hoped for. It's not what you hope you get for Christmas. It's what God has declared will happen, what God has declared is true, and because he has declared it's true, we're not just hoping it will happen, we are hoping in it. See the difference? Hope is a wish, no. Hope is a confidence that God has declared it to be true, and so I believe it is true. There is an assurance of things Hoped for things God has declared. So my shield against the lie is God's word is true. First lie, remember it? You won't die. That's what he told Eve. You won't die? You're not going to die? Come on. Don't be so melodramatic. In fact... God's holding out on you. He knows if you, you'd be like him. And the lies begin. And she believed. She wouldn't die. Just like you believe you could sin and get away with it. Come on now. How many of us thought, oh, I can do that and I'll, I, I can skate the consequences? Yeah. There's just, that's a lie that the shield didn't block, and so it hit, and we did. And then, once he hit us, then he accused us. You don't have faith. You're a fake. It's the assurance of things hoped for. That the confidence that he is faithful to do what he said. It's not only what he said is true, that he is faithful. It's not only about what he has said is true, it's about who he is. He is our shield. He is our protector. And one of the favorite arrows lies that our enemy will shoot at you is for you to question God's faithfulness to you, God's promises to you. If God was really love, if God really loved me, then why would this be happening? I'm not above that thought. And that, that thought will hit unless there's a faith. Now, the Lord says, even though I don't see it, even though I don't feel it, I am confident that he has said he loves me. He could not love me more. 
demonstration, the cross. If he gave me a son, Romans 8.32, if he gave me a son, how will he not with him freely give us every good thing? See, we fight lies, we block lies with the truth of God's word, and it's our confidence, our assurance in what he has said and who he is. I know in this series I keep coming back to this, and I won't stop. Your immersion or neglect of this book regularly in your life will determine whether lies hit or lies are blocked. If you are careless and casual with this book, more arrows are going to hit. So we don't memorize this stuff for knowledge. (laughs) We remember it. We read it. We hide it in our heart for life. Maybe, Maybe this will give you a greater sense when we say his word is life. Because apart from it, the arrows will kill and destroy. So our confidence in who he is. And what he has declared, which makes perfect sense then when I think of when Jesus says in Revelation 19, when he reveals to John, when he is going to return, the second coming of Christ, Revelation 19, you know what he says? And I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse and he who sat on it is called, I want you to say it, faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. They had never really connected that to our own spiritual warfare. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against an enemy who lies. And the way we block those lies is we believe he is faithful and he is true. That's the shield. And so, in other words, Jesus says, wage war the way I'm going to wage war when I return, in faithfulness and in truth. So I beg you again, this week, would you immerse yourself in this so that the lies that are going to hit you are blocked by faith in the truth of God's word. But I wanted to take a a deeper look now at flaming arrows, all right? I think it's not an accident that he says in the text, these are flaming arrows, because there's a truth here that I think often gets missed. So how many of you have seen a movie where flaming arrows were involved? It looks so cool, right? That's like, wow, intimidation. That is awesome. Except it is so not historical. When I was like, he intentionally said flaming arrows, and I started doing research on flaming arrows, one of the things you'll quickly find out is it was rarely actually ever used in historical battle. It was never used in direct combat. Do you know why? Because to make an arrow, a flaming arrow, to add material to it would greatly reduce two things. Accuracy 
right? And velocity. The two things you need an arrow for an arrow to be. Fast and accurate. So to make it a flaming arrow, <clears throat> no point in direct combat. Flaming arrows were reserved solely for attack on a siege on a city. Why? Because if you can launch a flaming arrows past the archers on the wall, that's not the target. What's the target? The structures behind. And the goal of a flaming arrow, historically, and I'll draw the parallel in a moment, the aim of a flaming arrow was to create a second threat of fire. You have the threat of an attacking army in front of you, but you have siege, so you are protected by the walls. But now you have a second threat of fire behind you because they were not aiming at you. They were creating a second front. And the goal, the purpose, what would a second threat of fire accomplish? Two things. Divided attention. Now I'm not only watching in front of me, now I'm looking at what's in danger behind me. Divided attention and divided resources. How does fire behind you divide resources? Archers have to become firemen, firefighters, right? So now you've diminished the defense on the wall because that which was a single frontal attack is now a two-front attack. So what's the point? You can probably see this. We think, and I think wrongly, we've only thought of the arrows and our shield personally. But this is not an attack just personally. Flaming arrows are specifically an attack to divide us. The lies that would divide us as a community, as a church. And I begin to understand historically what a flaming arrow did and therefore what a flaming arrow would mean. I begin to see how effective our enemy has been over the centuries in taking what God intended to be one, unified, and dividing us. So these minutes now, friends, I need you to listen carefully. These minutes right now are about the threat against us as a people, not just us individually. There are lies that will divide us. I'm going to invite you to turn to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, because I'm going to look at two quick case studies in Corinthians that help us beware of the flaming arrows that could create division at Christian Family Chapel. It was true in Corinth, and it's been true through the ages. I think you'll see this, and we'd be foolish to think it couldn't happen 
here. So, are you there? First Corinthians chapter 1. Here is the first flaming arrow, the first lie that will divide the church in Corinth. Now, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. So I, don't, I want you to be one of mine, not divided. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people. So he gives where he's getting his insider information from. That there are quarrels among you. What are the quarrels about? Here it is, verse 12. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul. And another, I am of Apollos. And another, I of Cephas. Who's Cephas? Peter. So, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Peter, and the really spiritual ones, I'm of Jesus. And he asked this, has Christ been divided? Yes or no? <laughs> At Corinth, yes. And God, God's intent in the church? No. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And the resounding answer is no. <laughs> Who was crucified for them? Jesus. Jesus. In which name are they baptized? The name of Jesus. But what's happening? What's happening is simply this. There's division in the church because of the elevation of servants of Jesus over Jesus. The elevation of someone God used in their life over the person who actually did the work, the Lord himself. Now, do you think that there's been division in the church over the years over people becoming followers of servants of God versus God himself. Yeah, you, you'd have to be blind to not see that. Think about the very fact of the greatest divide in the church between Catholic and Protestant. If you haven't thought that, where's that, where's that come from? The following of a, the elevation of a, a man. And let's not go, oh, it's the Catholics. It's the Protestants been divided and divided again and divided again and divided again. Yeah. I get asked regularly. Hey, we're thinking about coming to the chapel. Are you guys Arminian or Calvinist? I have a very standard reply. We follow the Bible, and I'm not trying to be silly or foolish. We don't follow a particular frame or system developed by a man. 
We are committed 100% to the word of God and our faith in the word of God to be our guide and our confidence in Jesus who is our head. But the, pre- the, the potential to become divided and to turn servants into celebrities. See, it, it's pretty easy to look around in our current day and go, the whole cult following of movie stars and rock stars, it just translates to the church often. And what it does is it causes a division from devotion to Jesus and the elevation of Jesus. And so what does Paul say? How do we block that? When one says, he says in chapter 3, if you want to turn there, because the whole first four chapters of this letter are about this problem, divisions because of servants turned celebrities. Not by the leader, but by the people. When one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? In other words, are you not simply doing what everybody does in our culture? Aligning yourself with a person other than the one who was crucified on our behalf. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants. He develops, but that's the point right there. Well, what are we? Servants. Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity. So it was the Lord who gave the opportunity. Simply servants. I planted, that was my role. Apollos watered, that was his role. But God, don't miss it because you go say it again. Next verse. But God did what? God was causing the growth. Next verse. So then neither the one who plants me nor the one who is waters is anything. Apollos, Paul saying, but God who causes the growth. Hey, does God use people? Yes, he does. And is that a unique privilege to be used by God? Yes. But that is God's choosing and God's doing. And therefore, God should get the glory, the attention, the worship, and the following. The truth we must tell ourselves so that we are not divided is that when God works through people, we make sure our worship goes to him. That this is... His church. And any church that God is using, that's his church. And I appreciate that Paul simply says this. Verse 9. For we are, we're God's fellow workers. He's the one causing the growth. We're simply his fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. This is why it's not silly to quickly go, oh, no, 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 no. 
Never name a pastor or a person. Oh, that's their church. No, you are God's building. You are God's field. You are God's church. Why? Because he is the one who was crucified. And as you came to Christ through a person, it was by God's grace at work in you and by God's grace at work through them. Let's keep Jesus central and highest in who we worship and who we celebrate. Otherwise, what are we? What the text say? We're just mere men doing what mere men do who do not recognize God himself. So we elevate Jesus so as not to be divided according to who we follow. All right, turn from there to 1 Corinthians 8. There's a number of divisions that could be true in the church in Corinth. This is the second one I want us to look at, and it takes a little more cultural background. So I'll explain and then help us see how it connects. Verse 1. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. So let's stop with concerning things sacrificed to idols. Because I doubt that that is a divisive issue at the chapel in terms of things sacrificed to idols. Specifically, what he's talking about is food sacrificed to idols. Because prior to Paul going to Corinth, 100% of the Corinthians were idol worshipers. And so part of their worship of idols was that they would bring food, because everybody loves food, including idols. You bring food and you offer it as a sacrifice to gain favor and to appease the idol. So there was this temple in Corinth where there would be thousands of people who would bring food on a daily basis to sacrifice to idols. Everybody did it. Then Paul came, preached the gospel, and people began to believe not in idols, not to trust in idols, but to trust in Jesus. Here's the dilemma. Thousands of people are offering food to idols, and what are you going to do with that? Because are the idols eating it? They don't? <laughs> you ever think? No, the idols actually aren't eating it because they're wood or stone. They can't eat it. So you're going to throw it out? No. You make a buck. So they take all the food sacrificed to idols and they serve it in the marketplace for sale. And because there's so much of it, you know supply and demand. COVID, you know supply and demand, right? Because there's so much of it, it's super cheap. Here's the dilemma. People are now followers of Jesus. That food's been sacrificed to idols. And I used to be an idol worshiper. I'm not an idol worshiper anymore. I can't eat that. That would be like continuing to reinforce idol worship. I can't eat that. 
And you better not eat it either. But Paul says, we know that we all have knowledge. What's the knowledge? He unpacks this in the next few verses. Uh, Our knowledge is this. There's really no such thing as an idol. What is it? It's a piece of wood or a piece of stone. It has no power. So if you offer food to a piece of wood or to a piece of stone that really isn't anything, what happened to that food? Nothing. So what's wrong with it? Nothing. So he's going, we have knowledge. If there are no idols, then that food is just food at a good price. (laughs) And the church becomes divided. Why? Because you over here, you used to be worship of idols, and now you're like, you can't do that. That's idol worship to eat food sacrificed to idols. And how dare those worldly, sinful, still one foot in the world people over there be eating food sacrificed to idols? You, worldly people. Now you're going, so immature. So old-fashioned. Come on. It's a piece of wood. There's nothing wrong with that food. Come on, eat. So you're looking down on them, and they're looking down on you. And everybody's pulling you people to one side or the other. (laughs) Can you see that happening in the church? Not about food to idols. So what's Paul say? But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge, it's just an idol, and they don't really exist, it's just a piece of wood, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, in other words, it still seems wrong, be strengthened to do something he thinks is wrong. For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. And so, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. I don't know if you captured all that. But he's gone, just because you're free doesn't mean you should do it. What else is there to consider? Not just knowledge that makes arrogant. What else is there to consider? Love. The love of the brother. The love of one another. The divide. The elevation of, no, I have knowledge. I know this isn't a problem. I'm confident. And exercised of unrestrained personal liberty. 
I have knowledge, and therefore, I don't need to. No, nobody else is going to stop me. <clears throat> See, this, this is what makes me be so aware of the effectiveness of our enemy. In chapter 1, he takes the work of God through people, and he uses the very work of God through people to divide us. And now he's going to take the freedom that we have in Christ, the very freedom, and he's going to use it to divide us. If you think he's not an expert markmanship, I hope you have a better uh, appreciation now. He knows how to use lies to divide us. His flaming arrows, they work because they're rooted in something that actually is really good. (laughs) The freedom in Christ and the work of God through people. But he uses those things and just tweaks it enough so that it becomes divisive to us. So what do you do when where the scripture is given liberty? You have folks in a body who believe, no, I think that's wrong. And others who go, no, I don't think that's wrong. What do you do with that? Well, I was told recently, I don't care what other people think. They're not going to rob me of what I get to do. There's the divide right there. What do you do with that? Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. This is in summary. And if you have time, and no, don't, you have time. You might want to use some of your time to read 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 to get this picture and go to Romans 14. That's a parallel passage. If you didn't know that, write that down. Romans 14 is a parallel passage to how do we live out our conscience in community. Let no one seek his own good. In other words, just because I can does not mean I should. Am I free? Yeah. And what you'll discover in chapter 10 is this, that actually a person who has freedom may exercise it sometimes and not other times. And that inconsistency is actually consistent to the principle of love of others. It's not hypocrisy. It's actually consistency. So the shield, our faith in the moment is to go this. Our love for others. We're going to elevate love for others. Believers, specifically, in this text, it says, our love for others over the exercise of my personal liberty. When it comes to food, sacrifice to idols, Paul simply says this, I'll gladly not eat for the sake of my brother. I'll gladly forfeit my freedom. For the sake of my brother. And on other occasions, I'll exercise my freedom. It's not inconsistent. That's consistent with the elevation of love over knowledge. Now, it's not that knowledge is important. 
It's just that knowledge apart from love divides. Did you hear that? Knowledge apart from love will divide us. And it's not just love for other believers. He goes one step further. End of chapter 10. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, you probably have heard that verse before but had no idea. It actually is in the context of division in the church over things to eat. (laughs) We have it less in our day over things to eat and more about things to drink. Whatever then... You eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In other words, take your knowledge and combine it with love, and that will be to the glory of God. Because if you take your knowledge and strip it of love, it'll make you free to do whatever you want, which will not glorify God and divide the body. He continues, give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. In other words, he's extending this now beyond simply, I consider other believers, I consider unbelievers as well. Why? Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but for the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Paul says, Instead of exercising my freedom to the division of the church, I'm going to use or forfeit my freedom or use my freedom to the degree that it loves my brother or, what's he saying here? Or advances the gospel. I'm going to elevate the advance of the gospel in order that they would be saved over the exercise of personal Liberty. I don't say it tritely. We have a foe with a bow. He's a liar. And his lies are attacking you personally. And they're attacking us corporately. If you're married, they're attacking your marriage. If you're married, it's worth asking, what arrows are not getting blocked in our marriage that are bringing division in our marriage? That's why CFC... I want us to think not just personally right now. I want us to think corporately, community. We're under Christ. The reason we have the structure we have at the chapel is a plurality of elders under a single head, Jesus Christ. Not a single individual under Christ, but a plurality of elders under the single headship of Jesus. So that where there is work, the work of God at CFC, the Lord would get the glory because He is the head of CFC, not a single individual. 
He genuinely is our head. And we have freedom in Christ. But there's something greater than the exercise of our freedom. It's the love of one another and the advance of the gospel. So I want to lead you in a quiet moment. Maybe you just want to bow your seat there. Even if you're watching, would you stop and would you just bow with me? I want to just give us opportunity for each of us individually in this moment to say, for the work that you're doing in my heart, God, I thank you and I worship you. In your seat, would you say, Lord Jesus, I elevate you above every other thing and every other person in my life. You have my devotion. You have my heart. You are my center. Not someone else. You are my center. And as the Lord has given you knowledge, would it not make you arrogant? In fact, if you see in your life where knowledge has made you arrogant, this would be a moment for you to say, Lord, I confess that's being foolish. I want my knowledge to be given in love. I want my love for the brethren, and I want my love for the gospel to rule my life, not my freedoms. Not my desires, but your kingdom. Lord Jesus, pray on behalf of this local church that you would get all the glory for all that you do. We are your church. We are your building. We are your children. You, we declare we love. We worship you and you alone. Jesus at the center of it all. stand. Let's declare this together. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it
CFC that, that more and more people would come to know the wonderful name, the beautiful, powerful name of Jesus, the one who's the center of our life, who is the center of our affections. Hey, and there's a great way, uh, as we've talked about in the last week or so, we're, if you're thinking about people you can be inviting to Alpha, let's remember there are people who are seeking, they have lots of answers. Today at 1230 over the table, there's a lunch and it shows you all that Alpha is about. Um, so you kind of get a sense of what you're inviting people to. So I hope you'll do that. I hope that you will go. Um, go in peace. If we can pray for you, uh, know that there's men and women available to pray. So let's go in the power of the Spirit. Thank you for being here. Good to worship with you this morning. See you next time. <laughs>